This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. It's been more than a month since the Hamas attack on Israel and Israel's declaration of war. Here on the show, we've covered a number of angles on how that conflict overseas is affecting people in our area and beyond. We've discussed how misinformation has been spreading online. We talked about how Jewish and Muslim religious schools in the Chicago area have stepped up security in the face of rising anti-Semitism and Islamophobia. And we've heard from Palestinian and Jewish Chicagoans about how the war overseas is resonating here. Today, we bring you another perspective on that local impact. Earlier this week, I sat down with Mohammed Abu Rial and Dr. Mohammed Abu Safia. Abu Rial is a Palestinian American from Bridgeview in Chicago's southwest suburbs. And Dr. Abu Safia is his nephew, a Palestinian man from Gaza who recently came to the U.S. for medical training. They say that more than 30 of their relatives have been killed in Israeli airstrikes in the last month. The Israeli government says those strikes target Hamas militants involved in the October 7th attack that it says killed 1,400 people in Israel. Israeli airstrikes have also killed thousands of civilians in Gaza. The Gazan Health Ministry now puts the death toll at nearly 11,000. The United Nations says figures from the organization have been largely accurate in past conflicts. Now, in our conversation, our guests stressed that each person who was killed has a name and is worth remembering. Let's listen now to the conversation. I start off by addressing Mohammed Abu Rial. I got to start by saying I'm, I'm so very sorry for, for the loss of your family members. Thank you. Tell us what happened, Mohammed. You know, every day we wake up hoping that our family will make it through the night. So uh, I had a deal with my uh, brothers who are still in Gaza that at least they will text me whenever there is connection because the connection is very scared that they are still alive. So the last message was this morning, about two in the morning, and my brother, who's a lawyer there, very nice lawyer, he texted me to say this was a very difficult night. Thanks God we made it, but we have to evacuate our house one more time. This is the third time that they have to evacuate because of the situation of what's going on. There is no safe space in Gaza. There is no safe place for the children or anybody. What has that been like for you? I can't sleep. I am constantly trying to see who out of them got some connection to tell me if there is, they are still alive or not. It's very difficult. It's, it's, it's so difficult to the point that you sometimes cannot hear the news anymore. You know, I come from a good family. Uh, my two brothers are lawyers, very well established. Their kids, three of them are lawyers, they are engineers. My brother used to be the former uh, president of nursing for uh, the rehab hospital, Qatari Rehab Hospital. We are well established family, but we cannot make it. I know there is a lot of other family that are not as well established and they are living in the street. Most of them are living in the hospitals because they thought that the hospital are safe, but they are not safe. Dr. Abu Safia, walk I, us through how the last few weeks have been for you. So early in uh, July this year, um, I was a 
doing an elective course here at Cleveland Clinic. I finished med school this year and I have started doing an elective course in Cleveland Clinic starting in July. I said goodbye to my family on July and thinking that, okay, it's going to be two months and I'll be back, right? That's the that's how things should go. Starting on the October 7th, I, I heard like, um, I was very, I started to feel very worried for them. Um, this, each time I talk to them, they say, oh, well, you're not seeing anything like whatever we've gone through in the past, because I was there in the past and I was there in the former wars that occurred, um, former aggressions by the Israelis on Gaza. And I, I understand how, how, how fear and how like anxiety and fear of death is, is everywhere when it comes to this. Um, and I only used to talk to them like five to ten minutes per day uh, from October 7th. Um, and I can, I can tell you, when I talk to them, I can feel the fear in their voices. Mm -hmm. I can feel the fear in their eyes. I can see it. Um, they only live in, like, they only live closer together in one room because, because that's the only way they can feel a little bit safe. The October 13th, um, an Israeli strike, airstrike bombed our house. Um, I lost my father that day. I'm so sorry. And my family remained under the rubble for about five hours before they could have gotten out. After they gotten out and they found out that my father was killed, um, they were taken to the hospital. Of course, um, I've got so I've got five brothers and my mother and my dad. My dad uh, was killed on the 13th. Um, one of my younger brothers um, had a spinal injury on that day, and my youngest brother um, suffered from like there like a lot of ricochets over all over her, his body, and he was like going through a, like very very severe pain. Mm. They were taken to the hospital for two to three days, and because hospitals are way over and they can't have patients uh, in there for longer periods, um, they needed to evacuate to another house because it's uh, because they can't stay in the hospital, and so they evacuated to my aunt's house, which is in a close proximity to Shifa Hospital which they thought it's going to be a safe place. Um, after that, of course, inter internet connection was cut multiple times and hours and hours of worry without any ability to connect with anyone. And only to, to get a message, for example, in, in a 48 hours that we're saying we're alive mm -hmm. and like just that's it. On the 29th, and uh, this is not even by a person who I know, a colleague of mine in the hospital, because they know my brother, they contacted me and they were like, I'm really sorry, but your family is all dead. So now everyone's gone? Everyone's gone. In one airstrike, they, they killed more than 30 people, including my mother and five of my brothers.
just in a moment, everyone was gone. What should we remember about them? What were they like? My my father had a master's degree in physics. He worked in the environment field. Um, my mother was a school uh, a head teacher, um, and she was uh, she was very no like she was known in 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 the uh, ministry of education as being one of the best head teachers. And she was like uh, in charge of our high school. Um, I like when it comes to my mother. I'm, I don't know what to say, honestly, because yeah, I, I if you, my mother was telling me she was really happy for me to get this chance to be here, but she, the moment I stepped out of the Gaza Strip, I felt like I'm missing her a lot, and I miss everyone, every single one of them, especially my mother, and I, I there are no words that describe that. Yeah. My older brother, his name is Al Bara. Um, he he's an IT engineer. He got engaged like just recently, just three months ago, um, and he was starting to build his uh, own apartment just above my uh, parents' apartment. And he started doing that, and he started building that. But of course, it's all gone. Living somewhat normal lives. Exactly. Yeah. And he like and. Um, he he was like he was the one of the best uh, IT engineers that you can um, that anyone could have. He worked in a place far a little bit from our house, and when he requested that he like uh, move to a closer uh, place, the the hiring manager for him said that we can't actually let you go to another place because you are very important to us and you have been doing like the best work that we have seen. Yeah. So you can imagine how. How valuable of a yeah it's and 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 he's like my older brother he's like a um, a father to me as well very tough my younger brother who's also a medical student he completed the step one exam the USMLA step one exam his name is Osama he was uh, going to come here to the U.S. for an elective just like I did. Um, he 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 was very talented, uh, and e- even even more talented and well known than I am. And this is not something like I'm I'm not uh, even giving him uh, truth for that. He's he was a very talented student. He he was st- studying for the step two. He o- he also scheduled a um, he also scheduled an elective just like I did, and he was ready to come here again next year just to complete his medical education. And it's all gone. My third brother is a cybersecurity engineer. He started this year. He's a first-year student. Mm-hmm. Um, I this uh, this brother of mine is like is like a buddy for to me. You know, um, he's he, he's he's known for being funny, and he's like a um, he's a one-man party like type <laughs> of uh, person. Um, and uh, one of the messages he sent me is like, um, well, after they bombed our house, he said to me that um, what we've been through, I think it's it's like is the this is the worst thing that I've come to, and and he was very very tearful, and again, oh, he he's the one who his name is Ahmed, he's the one who suffered from the spine injury. Mm-hmm. 
and the uh, my for, my um, uh, fourth brother is Hossam. Um Hossam is a high school student. Um, me and him, we used to play chess a lot, and he used to beat me actually. <laughs> Uh, he was very smart. He uh, he got into a, an academy called Horizons Academy uh, for talented students. Um, he was just started with them. He was going to start here in this November with them, and they will get like um, a lot of cultural sessions, a lot of English uh, les- lessons. Uh, he used to love science. Um, he. He what he used to do is and because he's of course his younger brother he can see his older brother and like just he just wants to talk to me, so what he used to do is that he goes on and reads something interesting, some scientific uh, discovery, and he's like, oh yeah, I read that today. What do you think about it? And he's coming to me just mm. to can have a conversation. Always and learning, always exactly, engaging, always engaging and wanting to talk to me and discuss everything. My youngest brother, his name is Amr. That's brother number five. Yeah, um, he was a um, a secondary school student. Um, uh, he was like uh, because he's the youngest of all. He was like a, um, you know the most spoiled, and we all cared for him. We all loved him so much. He used to play a lot of video games. I can't tell you how every time I talked to him, he said how much he hated whatever the fear he's going through he and I could see it in his eyes I could hear it in his voice um, and after he, he suffered the sharp nose and he suffered from the ricochets all over his body he went through a lot of painful extractions just to extract the ricochets only to wake up one day and find them only to lose his life yeah yeah We're back now with more Reset. I'm your host, Sasha Ann Simons. If you're just tuning in, we're listening to our interview with Mohammed Abu Rial, who's a Palestinian-American man from Chicago suburbs, and his nephew, Dr. Mohammed Abu Safia. The two men lost more than 30 members of their family in Israeli airstrikes over the last month. And Dr. Abu Safia lost his entire immediate family. In our conversation, The men shared stories of their lost loved ones, their personalities, their dreams, their hopes. Now, in the excerpt that we'll listen to next, you're going to hear their perspectives on the Biden administration's support for Israel, more about what their family's going through and their experiences growing up in Gaza. We'll also hear what it's been like in recent years with the strip under a blockade that restricts how people and materials can move in and out of the area. This is what Dr. Abu Safiya refers to when he mentions a 17-year siege on Gaza. We'll pick up our conversation with a question I asked Mohammed Abu Rial. As the number of people killed in Gaza climbs, right? As you hear the news and the stories of your own family, what's going through your mind? Who's next out of my close family? who's next out of my other close family as a former past president of the nursing association in Gaza Strip, as a healthcare provider, as a nurse, 
I just feel for my friends. I don't know in the Baptist hospital which one of them survived, which one of them is still alive because I could not connect with them since they closed the hospital. But the reality is we know that the time is coming every single day that we are afraid that one loved one that we already know close will go. I was supposed to go and visit Gaza at the end of this month because my brother is oldest son. He wants to get married, and he said he will not have the, the wedding plan unless he, I come and be there. And this was planned yes. well before. So I said at the end of November, it would be a good time for me to come. It will be a good time where I can come, and we will have the wedding. When I talked to him two days ago, three days ago, that was the last time, he said, you know, they all miss you my nephews and nieces. They want to give you a hug. I said, I really, I'm looking forward to give them a hug. Their house was bombed two days ago. Mm. And they, he got injured, his wife got injured, my other brother got injured. And at three years old, two years old, his name is Muhammad Hassan, just like my name. Two years old, he had some blood clotting issues and he was also hit in his face with the shrapnels. So they have to evacuate for a third time and find another place that they think it is safe, but there is no safe place. Many Gazans who were not injured um, began to congregate near hospitals, thinking that hospitals would be safe. That hasn't always been the case, as we've been discussing, right? Others have fled from Gaza City to the south after the uh, Israeli military ordered them to leave to seek shelter. Many Gazans and journalists who are on the ground from the BBC, from Al Jazeera and other news organizations, they say that nowhere is safe in the enclave. It sounds like you're hearing the same. There is no safe place in Gaza. I just came in, they just bombed Kanyunis, Deir al-Balah, Rafah, all of this are in the south. They are not in the north side where they say is there. The people who evacuated from the north, while they were evacuating through a route that, that was supposed to be a safe route, they were bombed. And their body are left in the street because nobody can pick them up. Hmm. There is no safe space. So, Dr. Abu Safia, what is it like then for that sense of safety to be shattered? And I want to make a point just before I can answer your question. like. And I think that's a very problematic way of saying it. Like, we keep defining events, and I've seen it all over the press, we keep defining events by October 7th, as if October 7th was, uh, like, the start of time, as it is. But it's not. Um, Gaza Strip has been under siege for 17 years. Everything that comes and goes into Gaza comes in ratios, not rations. They control the water, they control electricity, they control everything, and they can decide one day that like there is no electricity. And like it takes a lot of effort, and a huge amount of effort just to leave Gaza Strip. As for the feeling of terror, um, I'm just gonna tell you just a little bit, a small story. We had a cat, a small cat, his name was Hapsi. Um, by the beginning of the aggression, he he was he was like he felt very very fearful that you know normal cats when you try to play with them they get a little bit they can scratch you them he stopped doing any of that he was a very he was 
very passive. Uh, he didn't move. He was like just there all the day, not moving, not doing anything. Was that unlike his typical behavior? Yes. This is this is an animal. You can imagine the terror that everybody in the house can feel. And this cat, when our house was bombed, it died not not because it got injured. It died out of fear. It, like when they when they looked at the body, they found nothing, and the cat was hiding underneath a sofa, and was dead there, just out of fear. And it's an animal. You know, I want just to add a small thing about this cat. My wife, this is his mom is his, her sister. She was complaining to my wife. I have my husband, a man, and I have six boys. I have no girls in this house. I'm the only girl in this house. And they even got a cat, and it was a male cat. Every time I remember this, it's very difficult to see my wife crying the whole night. This is, I mean, she was, I know he said her teacher, she was a school principal in a high school, very well accomplished, very smart woman that have created a very good space for people to learn, for students to be cultured, to be able to be the future leaders of the humanity. Then you lose them at one minute, one second. And I just want to say something also about the nurses that we lost. I was uh, reviewing yesterday Anderson, Anderson Cooper in the CNN. He interviewed a nurse who came from Gaza. She's an American nurse. She worked with Doctors Without Borders. And she was feeling, I can see that, she was feeling guilty that she had to leave because there, when she asked her, colleagues in the Indonesian hospital in the south, in the north of Gaza. Why don't you leave? They told her, this is our life, this is our community, this is our people. We are here to serve them. We will live with them or we will die with them. My nephew is one of these nurses. He's the head nurse in that hospital. I just talked to him two days ago. He couldn't tell me anything because he didn't want to share too much. I just want to make sure that he's still alive. This is the reality of the Palestinian people trying to live a life. The end result is that equ equation. There is an occupation that is causing all of this, and the only result to resolve this issue is to end the occupation, period. As Muhammad, Dr. Muhammad said, this did not start October 7. This started in 1948 with my parents and grandparents were pushed out of their houses. I come from Ashkelon, Al-Majdal in Arabic. That's about 17 miles away from Gaza's border. That's where our village is. We still have the keys for the houses. Even though I was born after, the 1967 was another war. We did not have Hamas during this time. 1948, there was no Hamas. 1967, there was no Hamas. 1980, there was no Hamas. I want to hear more about your, your parents and, and grandparents. I know that you grew up in, in the beach refugee camp where yes. um, your family 
yeah. was my extended was family killed. are there. More than three hundred of them are there. Your parents and grandparents had to flee during what uh, Palestinians called the Nakba. Yes, uh, that's the mass displacement of Palestinians from what is now Israel during the 1948 war over the creation of Israel. Just tell us more about them, about your parents and, and, and family going back to that time. You know, what I remember is one day in the past when I was a young boy, my father took me back to our home, his home where he was born and he lives till he was about five years old and show me where is my, because my grandfather, his father died when he was three years old, so he was buried in that area. And I still remember seeing my, the grave of my grandfather there, that now I cannot even visit. It was, you know, it was demolished. It was not uh, left alone. And we can't even go and visit. They were pushed out of their home. Villagers living in the village, you know, taking care of their lands and their families, living in a peaceful way. Somebody came from overseas and took over the place, pushed them out. That's the reality. This is the beginning of the suffering. That was the Nakba. They are trying to repeat another Nakba right now, try to push the people from Gaza one more time somewhere else where there will be somebody, you know, another time of refugees. How many times do we need to do this? We deserve to live in peace. We deserve to live free. What was your experience growing up, Dr. Abu Safia? This is the first thing that I noticed here coming here to America is that what was living in Gaza like is, is the hardest way of living. In, in in another in all parts of the world where you your daily living you only worry about one two things three things and uh, in Gaza you don't need like you need to worry about 10 to 20 things because tomorrow you have no electricity tomorrow you have no water you have to maintain that water like you have to go get water or like um, wake up during the night just to make sure that you uh, have enough water for this for the following day. Oh, and like uh, we're expecting any electricity like uh, cut off uh, next 24 hours. We need to prepare whatever we need to do using electricity. We need to do it now because we can't do it in the following 24 hours. There is, of course, traveling takes um, like uh, simply enough. Traveling takes forever and you can't like um, it is very hard to go out to get out of the gun strip. And it was a very um experience for me and for anybody else uh, education sanitation um, uh, the water we use for uh, uh, the bathroom and for the uh, um, um, daily um, activities is like uh, seawater it's very salty waters and you can imagine how how of a hassle that is to use such water in, for your skin for your uh, for bathing for all sort of things 1993, I was part of a team to start the first intensive care unit in the Baptist Hospital. So we were tagged to go to England. I went to Cambridge University Hospital in the intensive care to be trained to come back and open the first intensive care unit in Gaza Strip. Okay. During that time, it was the time of 
Intifada and the Israeli military were controlling the Gaza and there was a daily curfew on us. So you cannot leave after 7 p.m. or 6 p.m. your home. Period. That's it. So my friend and I, we were a team of two going and coming. When we arrived to England, to, to Cambridge, the first two weeks, we could not leave our dormitory for two after 7 p.m. Why? Because we were mentally programmed that this is a curfew time. I looked at him, I said, why are we still in there? You know, we can go out. We have to mentally challenge ourselves personally to be able to leave the dormitory in England, in Cambridge University. This is how the siege, this is how the occupation is. Three years ago, I have to go and visit my family in Gaza because my wife was very sick during the COVID time and I was hoping to be able to reach her. I was blessed that I saw her before she passed. I had to wash my hand with water and I can tell you, I swear, my eyes were burning from the salt water that I have to wash my hand with. The water is not. My brother, who is an older than me, had a renal failure because of the water. Hmm. This is the kind of conditions that they created on the people in Gaza because of this occupation, because of the siege, because of the trying to really put us down. But we will survive. Whoever is going to come out will come out stronger and we will be free because that is our destiny. I know the suffering is big. I know the sacrifice is big. I know the humanity will survive. I know the American people, humanity will start seeing the light and understanding the truth. So you mentioned America. I, I want to bring it back to you, Dr. Abu Safiya. What do you want to see from the Biden administration? The most important step for now is a ceasefire. That's that's the most important thing that we can do. What about you, Mohammed? What do you want to see? Honestly, I lost hope in the Biden administration. But I want to tell him, just don't send us bombs. We don't need aid from America. We just don't need you to tell us we are going to send you aid so you will wait one more day to be able to be killed next day by a bomb from America. I voted for Biden. My family voted for Biden. I know a lot of the Arab and Muslim community have voted for Biden. But I can tell you, he need to hear this very well. We will remember in 2024. We will not forget. So doctor, leave us with this. I mean, what's the message for the people listening right now? So I think the, uh, when it comes to the Palestinian cause, uh, the most important thing is always to have context. That is always the most important step anybody can take. Read more, uh, educate yourself. There are lots of resources online and everywhere. Um, the truth is out there, but what we need to know is we need to understand the context and we need to know uh, what happened in the past. And we, we need to also stop uh, pinpointing certain events and just um, understanding the word through only the lens of certain events. The word is not 
one event defining everything. It's a it's a context. It's history, and through history we can only understand the struggle of the Palestinians. You've been listening to our conversation with Mohammed Abu Rial, a Palestinian American man from Chicago suburbs, and his nephew, Dr. Mohammed Abu Safia. The men lost over 30 members of their family in Israeli airstrikes over the last month. To hear more of Reset's coverage on the local impact of the Hamas attack and ensuing war, go to wbez.org reset. We recently talked with two reform rabbis, one from Skokie and one from Hyde Park, about what it's been like to lead their congregations through the difficult time after the Hamas attack on Israel. We talked with an interfaith group, Muslim, Jewish, and Christian, that returned from Jerusalem just as that attack began to unfold. We discuss the story of Wadia Al-Fayumi, the six-year-old Palestinian-American boy from Plainview who was killed in what prosecutors say was a hate crime. And we covered the rise in anti-Semitism in the U.S. and in our area in the last month. Again, find those conversations online at wbez.org reset.